Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Chapter 9, I want to read verses 6 and 7, and then go over to chapter 11. Any of you are cold and want to get your coats to put them on, feel free to do so. I can't stand the cold anymore. I don't know what's happened to my metabolism, but I'm cold. But there's nothing we can do about it. The furnace is putting out all that it can. It's just cold this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will prevail. This. Turn over to chapter 11. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with understanding shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked, and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Let us pause for a moment of prayer. We thank you, Lord God, for this time of the year that we can come to share as your people in the spreading of the good news that you have been born. In the midst of our jubilation over your birth, our Father, we would not cease to remember those this morning who grieved, particularly Ruth Hager. We would remember those who are anxious concerning the health of their loved ones. We particularly would remember the Buckner family this morning. Praying, Lord, that you would have your will in the life of Brookie, but that you would surround that entire family other families that have like need this morning. We will remember, Lord, that it all centers upon you. 
your life itself is the beginning and the ending. In you, we can take comfort and feel your presence in our heart and soul. Because you came into this world to live amongst mankind, to be its savior. May this world turn to you today. Those of us who gather here this morning to worship, may our hearts be lifted and filled with rejoicing as we remember that you came into this world to die. That you did that we might live. So bless us together this morning as we worship. In Christ's name we pray. Some of you may have read a book entitled The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire. It's about Yevick, the way I remember it, and I never could figure out how to get through it all. The book's got to be wee little if I'm going to read the whole thing. I get too wide, I get discouraged. Some of you may have read The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. I only mention those two particularly because they talk about the rise and the fall of a great empire. We have known as we have studied history Every nation that has ever come into being has had its fall. I was reading just last night the newest book by Charles Colson, who was one of the Watergate people that was sentenced to prison, who has since become a Christian and is leading a uh, tremendous ministry in what is called the Prison Fellowship amongst prisoners written five books, I believe, now. This one's entitled Against the Night, his newest. One statement that he made in there, and I think he's going to develop as I read the book, is that he is very concerned that the United States is now on its fall. We have risen. We have been high for many years. But there are definite signs of crumbling from within, not falling particularly from without, but we're falling from within. From the drug problems, the alcohol problems, the decay of morality, the uh, redefining of what the family is, and I'm going to preach a sermon on that subject of, of the family one of these days. This morning there aren't many people in church across our nation, not because they could not get here, and many of our people are that way, of course, or ill, or bereavement, but because they really see no value in what we proclaim. Back in the early history of the beginning of the Hebrew nation, God promised Abraham that he would make of him a great nation. And the numbers 
his descendants would be like the sands of the sea. And in Daniel, even old King Nebuchadnezzar had a vision. And this is what he said of his vision. Let me read you just the first, I believe it's three verses of chapter 4 of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all people, nations and languages that dwell on all the earth. He's got a message. Old King Nebuchadnezzar has a message for everybody. All peoples, all nations throughout all the earth. He says, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God had wrought toward me. How great are his signs, and how mighty are his wonders. Here's the phrase I want you to notice. It says, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. The Bible prophesies, even through people like King Nebuchadnezzar, that there is coming a nation of which there will be no end. And God began it with Abraham when he took a man who had lived in paganism. His father was a pagan worshiper brought him out of the community called Ur in the Chaldean mountains and told him to go to a land where he would show him. There would be his peoples forever. A nation went through many trials of the 400 years in Egypt and the 40 years of the wilderness wandering and we could relate all the things that that nation went through. But finally, finally they became a nation. And they had a king that God approved of, named David, that God selected from amongst the shepherd boys that took care of his father's sheep and brought him into line to be the king of the nation Israel. The nation was rich. It gained respect. It gained honor. They developed a pride. Then David was gone, and suddenly the nation was divided again. And finally, ten of those tribes went into exile to Babylonia disappeared, left only the two sons. The people began to be discouraged that the promise made to Abraham was going to be destroyed even before it got on its feet that they would be this great nation. But Isaiah continues to prophesy That there is coming yet a king greater.
greater than David. And it's interesting that he's going to come off as a little shoot, a little sprout, off of the branch, or the stem, he will be a stem of Jesse. Out of the roots of a dead nation will come a king whose reign will be forever. And the Hebrew people, being discouraged in that they could not see that their nation had developed to that point since it had been divided after David and begin to lose our identity, and finally we're conquered by all kinds of people. And even to this, until, well, back in the 40s, we're not a nation again, and now it's begun to develop. They were looking forward to a day coming when a king would be born that would rule Israel, and it would remain a nation forever, never fall. Tree is cut down and it's destroyed. There's nothing left but the stump. But out of that stump, there is a little little sprout begins to grow. All of the hope of Israel and of the world is centered on that little sprout off the side, out of the dead trunk. Isaiah says that there's going to be a child born. A son is going to be given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He's going to be called, in the King James, it says, Wonderful Common Counselor. Most scholars now believe that that's a mistake, mistake that was made in the translation. It should be, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. A mighty God. The everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. This little sprout is going to be all of that. This little sprout is going to be capable of sitting upon the throne and ruling forever when there has never been a nation that has ever survived many years. Their hopes were being built up. A child is going to be born. Their hope was rekindled. When John the Baptist was put in prison, he had some doubts about his preaching. He began to think, maybe I made a mistake. This person that I have pointed out to my disciples and to others, behold the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. Encouraging his disciples to leave him and go follow this person, Jesus, that had come on the scene. Here he is in prison and he sends his disciples to Jesus and said, Are you the one that shall come? Or should we look for somebody else? 
When the angel spoke to Mary, we have recorded in the first chapter of Luke, made a very important statement about his prediction. In Luke chapter 1, verse 31, the angel speaking to Mary, the angel said, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, shall bring forth a son, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Then look at verse 32, which is the prophecy again stated from the Old Testament, a renewal of that hope. He shall be great, but he shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Doesn't it sound just like what Isaiah prophesied? And now the angel is repeating it and telling Mary, he'll be called Almighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of his kingdom there shall be no end. Mary, the mother, of the prophecy of Isaiah coming true. Out on the hillsides, outside Bethlehem on that memorable night were some shepherds watching over their flocks. And the baby is about to be born. I don't know if it's medically true, Burma. But it seems like all babies are born at night. Here it is nighttime. Shepherds are out there. You know, I would like to have been one of the shepherds. I would like to have been in that group who looked up and was scared out of my wits because before me stood an angel right there in the sky telling me not to be afraid and my knees are knocking. The angel tells me something. Fear not. Behold, there is born in the city of David the Savior, the wonderful counsel of the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's what Isaiah said. The angel didn't say all of those words. But I'll tell you something. I wasn't in that first announcement. I wasn't part of that scene. But there's a scene coming that you and I will all be a part of when a, even a greater announcement is made, when the announcement of his second coming is made, and it will not be an angel who will announce his second coming, it will be the Savior himself, who with a shout will declare his presence, will either be coming with him or will be here going to meet him, one of the two. All who are saved. Even wise men from the Orient 
from those eastern nations were smart enough to know that something was taking place that was extraordinary. The prophecy was coming true, for they saw the evidence of a specific, a specific star that led them to know that the Savior was born. And they come to Jerusalem looking for the person who is the king of the Jews. They said, where is he? But the reason was the explanation. We have come to worship him. Listen, no king falls down on their knees before another king. They're equal. Flags of all nations fly at the same level together, not one above another. Heads of states are all equal if they're from the smallest state to the largest, are all equal. But here, in this scene, kings bowed in homage to the king. They're called wise. Isn't it rather pathetic that in today's world, Little people don't even know they're in the presence of royalty and flock him as nothing. I think we're right. This season of the year is not being properly recognized. Little by little we remember the Christ child we will in our services in churches across this nation. But we don't know that we're in the presence of a heavenly king. The disciples, after the resurrection, remembered that Jesus had promised that he would establish his kingdom. And so they come to him and they say, well, will you now? Establish your kingdom. They thought he would while he was alive on earth. And they were disappointed when he died and hadn't established his kingdom. And now they discover that he's alive. He's come back from the grave. He's amongst them. And so they repeat the question. How about now? Will you now establish your kingdom? You're a king. We know you are. Won't you establish it now? And Jesus has to tell them, over and over again. My kingdom is not a worldly kingdom. It's not one king amongst many kings on this earth. I'm not just simply a king of this Jewish nation and that alone. On the day of the triumphal entry, they hailed him as king. There's something wrong, it would appear, with that scene, because a king ought to be riding on a white horse. He ought to have at his side a battalion or more of military people. There ought to be all of the pomp and ceremony of any head of state riding in to take over his kingdom. We find that Jesus 
sat upon the back of a little donkey and rode into town not as a king, but as a servant. Still today, we have trouble learning that the way to greatness is by way of servitude. <clears throat> Jesus came not to be ministered unto, to be lifted up and recognized in pomp and ceremony, but he came to serve. And in his service, he died. And in his death, he became royalty for us. And before him, we ought to bow our knee. What kind of kingdom, then, is he setting up? Zechariah prophesied that he is a just man. He would come riding on the donkey. Isaiah 53 said that he would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world. You don't understand. But they took this king, who was born in Bethlehem, and they took him out to a place called Calvary, and there they killed him. They crucified him. They ridiculed him desperately. They blindfolded him, and they spat on him, and they slapped him, and asked him to prophesy who was doing it. And on one occasion in that trial, Jesus brought Pilate out, or, or Pilate brought Jesus out to the people and showed them his pitiful state, his bleeding and his bruising, and being uh, shackled in his, with his hands and possibly even his feet, and said to them, Here is your king. That's what people still are saying. Women, the king, the Caesar. Also in that trial, Jesus privately, a Pilate privately to Jesus said to him, Are you a king? And Jesus responded, You said it. It was for this purpose that I came. Messiah, I believe, would have to rank amongst the top, if not to be top in my mind, of all the music that has ever been written about, well, all the music period that's ever been written. One particular portion of that rendition is the Hallelujah Chorus. The Alleluia, the J-A-H on the end of it, which we do not pronounce the J-A-H, but it means Jehovah. And so if we were properly translating the Alleluia, we would be saying, Praise be to God. 
That's what the Alleluia Chorus sings. Praise be to God for the little sprout out of the dead stump becomes the king, not only of Israel, but the ruler of the whole world. And he shall reign forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And he will be called, if he is not already being called, wonderful counsel. You want counsel? Go to the Lord Jesus. He's the only one that can be called wonderful. The mighty God. The everlasting Father. I would suggest to you this morning that we personally know the king. I do not personally know a single king who's worthy. I do not personally know a single head of state in the entire world. I have never met face to face our president, never has shook his hand, never has said one word to him, nor has he said one word to me. I do not know the Russian interstate. I do not know the Queen of England. All those are equal on earth. But there is a king that I do know, and we're personal friends. He's had his arms around me. He held me close. He has told me that he loves me. And he is the only head of state that I know who will die for his subjects. And he was just a little sprout. Came out of a good stuff. But God put on the throne. And we know him. Because we know him, we bow our knee before him. Worship him. Lord Jesus, we remember today that you were born in Bethlehem, but so much more important, you were the sprout that became the mighty tree, under whose branches we find shelter and security. There we feel loved. There we find our wounds bound, our hurts soothed, our sins forgiven, and our souls saved. Because you are king.
incarnate in man. He's taken residence in our lives in the person of the Holy Spirit. We praise your name and we bow and leave before you. We give you homage today. The wise men of old and the shepherds bowed before you. So we likewise do as well. From the most humble to the mightiest man on earth, may all these bow today in homage to Jesus Christ, who is indeed the King. For we pray in His name. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.